Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Does anything exist outside of the mind? Can science and religion be reconciled? Do they even need to be reconciled? Hey there, and welcome to the 545th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those mindful questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. On this show, we have a very, uh, well, we get very, very philosophical and often esoteric, especially when it comes to what reality is. And our guest this evening is uh, well prepared to talk about that. And we do welcome your calls during the show. The numbers are 401-766-1240 locally and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. Philip Camella is a prominent attorney in the city of Chicago specializing in environmental and regulatory law. He is a graduate of Beloit College and the George Washington University School of Law. Now, Philip and I must be related because as a professional journalist, I often write about the very subjects in which he practices law. Conversely, Philip writes about the very subjects in which I earn my academic degrees, philosophy and theology. So he's with us tonight to discuss some of the subjects covered in his very interesting and well-written new book, The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God. He also hosts the popular Conversations Beyond Science and Religion podcast at www. Dot webtalkradio.net. And uh, Phil, let me ask you, is there a particular website besides that one you'd like to promote this evening? Yeah, it's, it's thecollapseofmaterialism.com. Um, okay. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Good, very good. Oh, there we go. So, Phil Camella, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much for having me. It's great being here, guys. Thanks. Oh, it's great to have you. So, let's begin with a little bit of background. So, you put about 30 years into uh, the thought and philosophy in this book. So paint an overall picture for us. What is your basic premise? Okay, the basic premise is that there should be one overarching way to look at the world. There should be one worldview that encompasses what we know as science and religion. Right now, we, we have a split personality. We have science doing their thing in a materialistic framework, and then we have spirituality doing their thing uh, in, a, in a different part of the world, a different part of our minds. You know, spirituality, I might also say, would include things like the paranormal, things that don't fit into the scientific model. And so what I try to do is I say, well, if we take away the assumptions of modern science, this materialistic uh, viewpoint, this view that where only matter is real, where matter exists outside of mind on its own power, and controls who we are. If we take away that assumption and we try to explain the world without that assumption, we find a way to unite science and spirituality. So the book is, a, is an argument in favor of this new way of looking at things. And it took me that long because I had to figure out all the ideas and then put it down on a piece of paper and then make it so it could be readable. Because I try, I try to give people a one-stop shopping so they don't have to go and buy 10, 15 books so they can pick this up. And if they want to try their hand at looking at this whole picture from a different perspective, uh, that's what the collapse of materialism is supposed to do. Alrighty, so what is the real dream worldview? I, I suppose you already mentioned that, but you want to go into a little more Not depth by on name, that? No. Yeah. yeah, okay, so we could approach it in two, in two perspectives. Um, as, as Paul probably knows, in the uh, 18th century or so, there was a number of 
of what are called Western idealist philosophers, such as George Berkeley and even David Hume, who came to the conclusion that that the, the term matter is really an idea, that matter uh, does not exist outside of the mind. And this led Berkeley to the view that what we view as the universe is really a vision, an idea in the mind of God. And he was ridiculed for that idea. I think he was a little too far ahead of his time, and he had probably other issues. But in any event, it's well known in idealism that the world would be a projection of the mind or a dream. This is also the same um, theory or the same approach that many uh, Eastern philosophers or mystics would use, this is, uh, such as the yogas um, and, and many people who, who follow the Vedanta. It's the it's mind-first approach. Okay? Now, one of the criticisms, the main criticism of Berkeley has always been, well, if the world is a dream, I disprove it thus, and you pound the lectern, you pound the table to, to show, demonstrate to folks, well, how solid the world is and how much different it is than these, than these uh, airy dreams we have at night. Well, the point is, is that the hand that you're using to pound the table is part of the dream. It's, it, we are spirits in a spiritual world, so therefore it's real to us, and that's the real dream worldview. Now, we could approach it from the quantum side, too, which a lot of people are doing this day and age. You could say, well, what is, what is ultimate reality? Uh, quantum theorists have proved it's not a thing, it's not a particle, it's really a wave, an energy packet, a nothing, dream stuff. Well, if that's true, it's also true about our bodies. We are part of a field. We are, we are united with, with nature. So approaching it from the idealist standpoint, or approaching it from quantum theory leads to the conclusion that the body is part of the world, part of nature. It's part of this dreamscape. We call all sorts of different things. I don't, I don't like to get too mystical sounding here. I, I think that it is a dream in progress um, that, that is real to us. Right now, we are, we are still sort of following that old police song. We, you know, we're still spirits in a material world. We're really spirits in a spiritual world, and that's really where things are heading. So that's that's the underlying premise of the of the real dream worldview. We are spirits in a spiritual world. It is real to us, just like dreams at night are real to the dreamer. The same thing is going on during the day, except it's a much more powerful, solid, uh, overwhelming dream uh, that is that is created by the united mind, which I call God. Hmm. Alrighty. So, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, so, in the book, you uh, related this to paranormal events. So, uh, you want to touch upon that a little bit? Well, well, one one thing that I set out to do is to try to explain uh, human experience under one theory. You know, one of the one of the issues we have with materialism this 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 view of the world that that reality ultimately reduces to a mindless thing, that the God particle is really the ultimate reality, that we are really machines, that it operates on its own power, is that this model has no room for the paranormal, no room for life after death, no room for near-death experiences, spirituality, or really anything fun, okay? It's really, it, it, scientists, uh, 
the mainstream scientists reject the paranormal because they can't measure it, but really because they can't see particles going back and forth in such things as telepathy or mind over matter. So what I say is, well, turn, invert the, the uh, viewfinder for a second here. Instead of looking at the world as if one independent sky or screen exists independently of separate minds, let's suppose we have the same mind and are participating in the same dream. That's why we see the same world, and that's why it's real to us. As soon as you make that step, you now have a foundation, a theoretical foundation to explain the paranormal. You could explain mind over matter. You could explain telepathy. You could explain clairvoyance. You can explain everything, uh, um, hallucinations. It, it all, it, the picture all fits together, and so, so I, I still think that paranormal events are exceptions. We don't want there to be this this nightmarish world of ghosts and goblins. I do think they're exceptions, but but it, it, to me, it's hard to deny that they have never occurred. That paranormal events have never occurred in the history of the world. And therefore, this view of the, of the world gives us a way to explain them and bring them into our worldview logically instead of just rejecting them because they don't happen to fit someone's preconceived model. Right, yeah, and that's usually the problem we have when we talk about modern science is the assumptions. Just because, you know, yeah, I mean, we're going to get into that later, but uh, that's one thing I really picked up from you was, uh, and, and let, let me just say, I don't agree with a lot that you said. I agree with, with some of it, but that's, you know, opinion. Uh, but I, we really appreciate having people on this show who can think. Right, that's the big thing. Yes. Right. So, but like I have, I have a friend who's um, he's going to Cornell to get his doctorate in uh, biology. I have another friend who's in programming, and he's he he, work, he works in programming, and they often get into debates. And one day they got into a debate that was like, well, I mean, what if AI gets created to destroy the world? My friend is a biologist, like, no, 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 that's not possible. That's never happened. It's never going to happen. And I essentially said, I essentially said, well, you're a biologist. I mean, you that's it, you have you you know a lot of cool stuff about flies and microbiology and all that. But what gives you the authority to say, oh, well, this can't do that. Computers can't do that. That's but that that's just my own my own little. Now little we have a problem with over specialization in, in right. thinking. Yeah. yeah, so that's right. that that's sort of where I'm going with that. Anyway, right. so let's let's get a little bit more specific, not to derail this once again. So you talk about uh, developing a new incredible scientific paradigm to unite the physical world of science and the metaphysics of uh, religion. The fact is, well, that not all science is physical or materialistic. And much of modern religion isn't all that spiritual or metaphysical. So let me ask you this. Which scientific paradigm and uh, which metaphysics and with which religion are you referring to? Well, first of all, if you, if you read the, the leading scientific writers, okay, and, that would, and I would include Lisa Randell, um, Ernest Meyer, the, bio, the Harvard biologist, I would include Stephen Hawking, Lee Smolin. In many parts of their books, and I, I quote them and cite them in my own book, they say that in order to practice science, they believe that there has to be a real world independent of human perception. But that's an underlying assumption that's right. of science. That yep. there has to be that, that it's, it's sort of like that they, that they need to hold this, this, this block of matter, this rock, in their forceps. In, in their, you know, they have to hold it out, outside of them and study it 
as a specimen in order to practice science, okay? Now, I, I would say that when you get into it, that is almost a universal assumption. And I, I made sure that when I did that, when I made that statement, I had authority, and I, I could cite you five different people there, uh, there's that, that, set, that say that. Now, whether there's some scientists such as Bernard Hash or Amika Swamy, Fred Allen Wolf, those guys, there are, there are clearly exceptions to that. Okay, but, I'm, but what I'm talking about is mainstream scientists, the folks that win the Nobel Prizes. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyone who's eligible yeah. for the yeah, okay, okay, so, so, so that's that's, so I call that the materialistic worldview. Now, in terms of religion, it's true. There's such a grand variety of religions that it's hard to, that it's you know it's dangerous generalizing. Uh, on the other hand, all of them have certain certain features. For example, the Western religions tend to project God outside of ourselves, mm. up in the sky or on a statue somewhere. Okay. So, so we're projecting God. Okay, the Eastern religions believe that God is within side of us. Okay, generally speaking. Okay, so what I'm saying is that the reason the Western religions uh, folks are projecting God is because we don't yet understand God. We're like climbing this mountain of awareness of knowledge to understand God, and we're really under uh, we're really trying to understand ourselves as being part of God. That's the journey. We're trying to understand ourselves as being part of God, which is really the spiritual journey in Eastern religion, where you realize that Atman, such as in Hinduism, is part of Brahman or part of God, that the self is, lays over the united self. See? So, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying, I'm trying not to reject things. And, and say that they don't make any sense. I'm trying to understand them in a different lens because there is something to be said for the premise that there's a little bit of truth in, in everyone's perspective. Maybe, maybe we're just looking at things in a different way. And so, so what I'm trying to do is if you remove all assumptions, if you take away that assumption of the independent material world, even though it may seem odd, oh, the world's a dream, isn't that weird? Well, you ha- it happens to explain everything, and it also explains... You know, the, to me, the big mysteries of science, uh, such as, you know, where did something, come, how did something come from nothing, and and the and the uh, mathematical order of the world. There's some there's some, uh, you know, problems, dilemmas that science has right now in trying to understand how their dumb and how their dumb and mindless matter managed to arrange itself into mathematical harmonies. Mm, you yeah. know. All right. Uh, okay. The um, I, I may, and this is my theological education talking. I might uh, have some bones to pick with you uh, historically, but but essentially, I want to make sure we're speaking the same language because as a, you may have, I'm sure you've discovered as we have that our language is really not up to actually talking about a lot of this. You know. Yeah. Um. So when you when you refer to science versus religion, you're really talking about, and I think you've pretty much explained this already what in philosophy we would call materialism, primacy of matter, versus right. idealism, primacy of mind or spirit. Am I correct? Right. Yes. Okay, all right. Uh, I might have a few bones to pick about how, you know, maybe there's a little more generalization than, than uh, we would be comfortable with, but that's neither here nor there. There is a line, Philip, in the promotional material we received uh, from your publicist, and I'll quote it. I don't, I don't know if you wrote it, but I'd like perhaps you could okay. say something more about it. 
Since ancient Greece, materialists have held that there is no room for purpose or design. We exist in a random and unconscious universe that has evolved through, quote, natural selection. Is that really your position? Because it's not accurate historically. Well, again, the, if, you, if you read the leading writers of evolution, and I would say that would be Richard Dawkins, if you read any of his books, and I quote him a couple times in my book, mm-hmm. uh, to him, natural selection it does not have an end. There's no purpose. Uh, it has no it has nothing to say about morality. There's no uh, there's no purpose, and it's it's also Ernest Meyer. You know, you sort of have to pick. I'm not trying to pick and choose my, uh, the people that I'm that I'm criticizing. I'm trying to go to their to the leading thinkers, and that would be. And I I, I picked out Ernest Meyer, who deceased Harvard professor, who is a leading quote unquote uh, neo Darwinian. And then, of course, Richard Dawkins, who writes so so well uh, and has been so influential in promoting uh, evolution. So, so I do think you know there's obviously exceptions, but here's the real issue, Paul. The real issue is that a, a lot of us we want to be half pregnant, okay? <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, we we want to. A strict materialist is an atheist. Strict materialist e- equals atheist. And yeah, and I have a problem Hawking, with that. Right, 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 right. Stephen Hawking and Richard Dawkins are atheists. They're self-professed atheists, as is Lisa Randell, you know, the author of uh, Four Passages and Knocking on Heaven's Door. Uh, Stephen Weinberg. They're consistent. They're consistent. There's no room for spirit or God in the materialistic worldview. Okay. Now there are clearly scientists who are not atheists. Clearly. Okay. Mm. But I, I think I think that that is half pregnant. I think that I think that. Because you have a ghost in the machine problem, you have a, a issue of how does mad or how does spirit, how does this ephemeral emotion, thought, spirit affect, impact this hard matter? Okay, so so you're, I think you're right that it's hard it's hard to you know say say things in this field with, without you know that are true for all purposes. That I completely agree with you, and I also agree that that terminology is extremely important. But sure. I'm trying to say, but what I'm trying to say, uh, and I say it, and I, you know, I did the best I could to say it, is that the strict materialistic viewpoint is without purpose or direction. So. Oh no, you say it very articulately. It just, uh, my point was that the, the the reference to ancient Greek thinking in, in that regard is not yeah. the same as modern thinking. Yeah, they they right, generally yeah. saw God or gods building the universe, winding it up, so to speak, and letting it go as if it were some kind of you know clock or something. Uh, yeah. They saw matter as the, the dominant factor in seemingly non-material phenomena as just undiscovered physical science, which is what they see today. But in yeah. fact, I mean, historically, religion and science have been very, very at home with one another until quite recently. Uh, Christianity was very at home with God as the clockmaker, in the West anyway. Well, even uh, then, like, if, if you even want to make a modern reference, like... The uh, Vatican still has like one of the most advanced. Oh, they have the, uh, one like, of the best observatories yeah. in the world and yeah, they, in Arizona. They, they, a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, um, there's there's even a, a, a modern philosopher who's uh, a guy by the name of Dr. John Mark Reynolds who gave a whole series of talks on how most of the assumptions by science today generally came from <laughs> religion. Well, yeah, and, and uh, I- under Islam, especially in the Middle Ages and Judaism, uh, there were tremendous advancements in science. Even the whole Galileo thing was largely political. 
But any, anyway, I, we're getting away from the point of, of the book here, but I, ju- I just wanted to make the point that th- there are caveats to this, especially when it comes to historical um, uh, discussions on the matter. But, but I, I, I see what Philip is saying. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. the modern, there's no question about that. It's funny you mentioned Amit Goswami. He's, uh, we had him on in, in, uh, a few weeks ago, and he's going to be on in a few, <laughs> few weeks. Uh, we love the guy. He's, he's great. But as you say, um, anyone in mainstream science has to answer the question, uh, do you want to be half pregnant? Right, right. And, and let's face it, we really have two, two stories of creation that, that both have big, big issues in them. I mean, it, and I, you know, the Big Bang has a lot of issues, and the mm. creation, you know, and the creation by the hand of God has a lot of issues. Um, and so I, I think that overall, uh, and I am obviously an idealist in more ways than one. Sure. Um, but, I do think that our understanding of God has to evolve, and I think it is evolving. And I think that's one reason we have people who are thinking for themselves on these big questions, who are not going to Mass or the synagogue or whatever regularly as much as as our parents did, that we are, you know, struggling with these issues ourselves and thinking for ourselves as well. And And so I think that this is all part of the... Uh, of, of, of folks uh, evolving, changing their understanding of what God is. And I think that has to happen, because only, only by doing that can we, can we, I think, broaden our perspective, uh, have room for all, all faiths to have, have a united uh, grounding, and also, as I said before, uh, bring science into the picture. Well, of course, there there are um, issues. I don't know. For, for the last forty years or so, I've I've always I've kind of done, I suppose, an informal survey of people's religious beliefs, and uh, I find maybe as you have, maybe you haven't looked into it as deeply, but people tend not to understand really their own religions. You know, just taking yeah. Christianity for example. You know, I could sit in a room with someone and they'd say oh well, the pope is wrecking the church or this is happening or, the, or the, this this is heresy and then in, in what they say i could find heresy after heresy in, in in their point of view so i mean really in the end and one of the fathers of the of the church said this that in the end it really just comes down to you and god and all theology ends in silence mm. you know and uh, you can find this looking at, at Judaism. People really don't understand because Judaism is, is, is a, a very is a varied. There are many varied points of view that are allowed. Uh, within um, Islam, you've got the, the, of course most people are, are um, Sunnis, and then they, they they look at the, everybody else as uh, you know heretics and all this business. But the average rank and file person doesn't necess- is, is, is sort of in a disconnect with the clergy very often and with uh, the doctrine such as it may be. So th- that's something to be considered. Then there's there's the idea, and maybe you could comment on this: is is religion the same thing as spirituality? I, I long ago came to the conclusion that it isn't, and uh, there is a trend today for people to simply say, "Well, I'm spiritual but not religious." What say you? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that, because on my own radio show, we, um, you know, that comes up a lot. And, uh, again, when you, when you make statements in this field, you're bound to offend somebody, or, or uh, you're bound to um, be incorrect in some fashion. But I, I view religion as being more a set of established beliefs about God, more organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
based upon scripture as opposed to spirituality which is more of a self-fulfillment i would associate it more with eastern thinking buddha you know the buddhism and uh, hinduism um, and maybe Taoism, where where it's more of a uh, inside out recognition of spirit, as opposed to a set of beliefs that you follow, and if you follow that path, something good's going to happen to you at some point. Well, not not so. to dwell on this on this theme, but it, within uh, there is there is a mysticism within Western religions as well. Not you know maybe it's in Protestantism, it's probably the least mystical, but there is a tradition of inner realization that God is within you, and it's very prominent. Uh, however, again, not to dwell, I mean, it, it, there are variations, and, and your point, right. I think, stands nevertheless. Um, okay, why don't, can we, why don't we take our break at this sure. point, at bottom of the hour, and uh, we'll be right back with our guest, Philip Kamel, a very interesting conversation this evening. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. I'm Jody Henke, host of Living the Country Life. Whether you already have an acreage or dream of one, you'll learn about landscaping, gardening, raising animals, maintaining machinery, rural living, outdoor projects, and more. Living the Country Life is brought to you by Pepin Lumber, 830 Cumberland Hill Road in Winsocket. From livestock to lumber, Pepin Lumber has what you need. Come in and browse our country gift shop. Pepin Lumber, serving the people with quality products since 1947. Living the Country Life can be heard here on ON 1240 WOON every weekday at 925 in the morning and 550 in the afternoon right here on ON Radio. And before we get back to our very interesting guest, I wanted to just mention several of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Most of them are veterans' charities. Uh, certainly, um, USACares.org. Check that out. They do wonderful things financially for veterans who are having financial difficulties and their families. Uh, also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our friends to the north who have been with us in Afghanistan all along. And uh, certainly, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, uh, run by our good friend Tony Loray, who uses ancient wisdom of indigenous peoples to reach at-risk youth and has amazing results and now as I understand their methods are being extended to Peru and other places and uh, best of luck to Tony but check that out too youthmentoring.org doing amazing things so let's get back to, to our guest Philip Camella we're talking about his book The Collapse of Materialism and we're having something of the uh, duel of the idealists here this evening and, uh, and uh, <coughs> Philip so, so where do you feel the uh, ideas of God are going in the next whatever period of time, and what would be driving that? Well, if you're asking me where do I think things are heading, yeah. um, the, I, think, well, I think there's two things going on here at once that we could, we could express uh, in, two different, in, in a number of fields. First of all, I think that the truth remains standing. I am a scientist at heart. I think that theories need to be tested, and the, and the theory that explains the most with the least assumptions should be the theory that governs the day. And we should never stop testing, experimenting, criticizing until we find that theory. Okay? So, so that's point one. Point two, I do think that there is, as I said, an evolution of spirit, that we are evolving not only materially in our bodies, but we're, but we're evolving spiritually, or, we're, or we're, we're coming to a greater understanding of who we are and what we can be. And I think those two things are really the same. 
See, I think that the scientific quest joins up with this inner realization, this evolution of spirit. Okay? And as you probably know, there's a number of people throughout history that have that have believed or have written about the evolution of spirit. You know, it's yes. not, I wasn't the first person ever to come up with the thought. Sure. Um, and so, but I think that so so where it's heading is, and again, here's here's my optimism. But I'm allowed to be optimistic because I'm I'm a free thinker. Is that I think that uh, the goal is to unite in physical form that which is united at the spiritual level. In other words, peace has always been the goal, and peace is the goal. That is the goal. So that's where, so that's where our world is heading. I think our world is heading towards that. Now, this may be a hundred thousand, ten thousand year perspective. It ain't going to happen tomorrow. That's for sure. But but I think, looking at it from the big picture, I think that's where things have to be heading. Well, that's, uh, in a way, reflects uh, some of the thinking of the great French theologian Théâtre de Chardin, who who saw everything heading toward the Omega point, so to speak, you know. Uh, But um, I perhaps am not... Not as necess- not necessarily as optimistic. I I hope that's true or something like it. Well, then the, that begs the question: Where does human nature come into it? Well, that's the issue. And plus, evolution is not necessarily making things better. It makes, I mean, strictly speaking, from a Darwinian sense, it makes things uh, easier. It makes creatures easier to survive. So the idea of a spiritual evolution that might beg the question: If if you're taking that point of view as uh, from Darwinism, what? Would that mean for the spiritual level? It's probably beyond the scope of what we're talking about this evening. But let's—I don't want to burn up our whole hour here, but without getting to a very important point that we think is important, uh, Ben's going to introduce a question that, that's going to bring us to the question of the multiverse theories. Indeed, I will. So uh, here's a quote from you. Uh, from a young age, I had a deep conviction that something was not right with the world. There is one world, one sky, one earth. Why uh, is there not one principle that unites people to a common world view? Why can't right. there be one truth? Okay, now, and now Philip has pretty much answered that. So Yes, so uh, here's where we get into a sort of little pet subject of quantum physics and the multiverse. So you have a whole chapter in your book on that, and uh, what would make us uh, think that there is just one world? Well, to begin with, that's what we see. And if we're going to use empiricism um, and and sense experience and evidence, that's what we see, and that's pre- that's that's pretty good evidence for me. I mean, if if you if you want to if you want to um, imagine multiverses, I mean, there's an article that I would recommend anybody read in Scientific American. If you look it up on the on online, it's by George Ellis. Oh, I read uh, it. Yeah, he basically says that it's that it's speculation, philosophy, but not science. It's something that can never be proven. So I say, um, and I and I love talking about the multiverse because I think it really is is really a cop out um, uh, that uh, for scientists who can't explain things with one universe, they need more universes. And again, I'm not the only word, only one that used the word cop out. I think that um, Paul Steinhardt uses it, and and. Uh, George Ellis comes pretty close to saying it. So I, I, I'm very, I'm very simple on this. I mean, you know, Occam's razor, uh, which is one of the guiding principles of science, you know, says says uh, do not multiply things unnecessarily, or put differently, the fewer the assumptions, the better. So anyone that thinks that a theory with a with a near infinite number of multiverses is somehow better 
than a theory of the one universe, I think, is not really read Oaken's Razor or took it or took it on or you know or, or understood it. Well, whatever validity it may, you, know, you, you could use the same argument that in Newtonian physics it'll build you a house or a highway, but it won't explain, it won't define reality. Well, neither will Occam's Razor, in, in my personal opinion. But I'm not a scientist either. However, yeah. I have. Uh, and now Ben with me sit in the paranormal trenches as it were and see all sorts of things that would make your hair fall out I don't know if you're I don't know from your pictures I can't tell if you're the same vintage <laughs> no, as I, I am and have any hair I, I, but, I, but, uh, a little bit of, I still have some up there but go ahead yeah okay, that's good <laughs> glad for you uh, okay, good. but in any case uh, the, the, it raises also what, what you say uh, you know and, and we accept that you know that that has as much validity as any other thought but the question is, what constitutes proof? Uh, the whole motto of our show is, everything you know is wrong, because uh, despite Descartes and his rather, I suppose, presumptuous beginnings, and as a mathematical system based on, uh, you know, I think, therefore I am, uh, he revoked that on his deathbed, as did many of these great thinkers. And we don't really know anything for sure. And all we know, I suppose, is, is as you hinted, is the what Aristotle would call the, the empty slate, the tabula rasa, and we simply write upon that according to our experience. It's really all we have. Sure, we have math, but there's the question of epistemology. You know, what are we basing that on? Our five senses can lie to us. and so We really don't know anything. But I know that I have been hit by flying television sets and poltergeist cases. I've been injured. Uh, there have been all sorts of physical things that have happened and, and, and as you said in the beginning that this is uh, perhaps as you say a dream we're in it therefore it's re- it seems real and I think that, that that's a valid uh, point to be considered however I think that uh, the only way I have ever been able the only thing that really made sense to me was the multiple worlds idea and th- even theologically when you get into that and few people do um, there, although there is a term now quantum theology uh, we were taught by the good nuns, in our case, that God created the universe out of pure love, okay, and an explosion of love. Well, God's love, is theologically, is supposed to be infinite. Uh, what sort of infinite expression would there be? The creation of all possible worlds and all possibility, uh, uh, possibilities in perfect harmony. Again, that, that's our point of view. Who knows, you know, and, and uh, we respect yours. So, but that's our two cents on that, and that's the only thing that we can see exp- explaining the paranormal. Uh, I, I see your point about uh, everything being energy and uh, the influence of one form of energy upon another. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a possible explanation. But just having been there and done that, that makes the most sense to us. You know, people seeing ghosts of themselves, you know, buildings appearing and disappearing. Things that go far beyond what most people experience in the paranormal realm. So, so that's our two cents on that. And what say you? Well, I don't, I don't think, you know, if we have more time to talk about this, I don't think we're that far apart. I think that the, the term multiverse is, is, has multiple meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's the many worlds interpretation of quantum theory. Uh, there is the multiverse from the um, inflationary Big Bang scenario. There's one from string theory. Yeah. Then there's multiple levels of consciousness. Now, I would not disagree with the multiple levels of consciousness. I just had this discussion the other day where I'm sort of leaning. I'm sort of leaning to the view that that there's probably multiple levels of consciousness that we could explain things like uh, near-death experiences, for example. 
You see, this this is this is what I this is a scenario that I would I would ask you guys to consider. Suppose, and this is I'll do this as fast as I can. But suppose you wake up one day. It's like a science fiction fantasy hmm. theme. Suppose you wake up one day and you're the only person on Earth, and you find that that the world reflects your moods. That you're down in the dumps and it's rainy, it's dreary. You're under the weather. And you go on and on and on. You ask yourself, how did this world get here? Did it come from a Big Bang, or am I dreaming it? And you go on and on and with your experience, and you realize that you're dreaming it because it's reflecting who you are. Okay. See, I think that we can know to a mathematical certainty that we're dreaming the world through, a, the, through the same kind of thinking. Because if you have one person on Earth, and then you just keep adding people, i.e., the Garden of Eden, and and you know however much that might that's a myth or a metaphor. It, it is still a metaphor. When you go through that line of thinking, see, I I think that this is what this is what I'm saying. I'm saying we could know for as as mathematical truth that that the world is a dream, but it's going to take experience. Now, in terms of the poltergeist and everything else, that falls into. I, again, I've read a lot of that stuff, too, and I don't have any basis to dismiss it out of hand. Okay? I do think that stuff's possible, and I, and, I pro- and I have experienced a couple of things myself. But imagine, consider an, an, an hallucination. If you've ever hallucinated, you are, one mind is conjuring up a real world from nothing with no help from the Big Bang. So my, my thinking is that when the world gets ruptured, whether it's because a car has has or uh, has rolled on top of a child and the mother picks up the car or whether it or whether your a loved one dies and you feel it at night these things are part of the deep emotion the you know the deep sense uh, uh, deep uh, togetherness and interwovenness of our world see mm. so 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 to me, it, this is a this is a, a gradual function of understanding of understanding, and all I'm all I'm trying to do is give people a different perspective, to be credible, to give them citations, to say I'm not making this up. You may think that I'm partly crazy, but I might be crazy in a good way. <laughs> don't don't leave that out. I might be crazy in a good way. You know, I keep thinking of that that seal song, where he says, you know, in a in a in a room in a world in a room world full of people only some want to fly now isn't that crazy hmm. mm. you yeah. know yeah it's really a, it's really a good line philip so. uh, before we proceed I, we're burning up this hour very quickly i want to give you a chance to talk about your book where people can get it and the website and anything else you'd like to promote about sure sure well thanks a lot yeah uh i think amazon or barnes and noble is the best place i don't know what bookstores is that where, where any particular person is uh my website as i said is the collapse of materialism.com if anybody has any questions or wants to put me under the gun, uh, my, uh, I, I'll, I'll respond to emails at philipcamella at gmail.com. Pretty simple there. And, and my radio show, Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, where I have people uh, from scientists to spiritualists and everything in between, mm-hmm. who we, we talk about these very, these very same issues. So thank you for that. Sure. And uh, where could people uh, find that show? There's a website, and uh, what, what is the time and the day? It's it's pod it's it's the podcast at webtalkradio.net. Okay. If you put in uh, Google conversations beyond science and religion, it should pop up. And uh, you know, it's it's a new show is posted every week. My show this tonight's 
is uh, Joe Dispenza. You are the placebo. So I so he was my guest last last week. Oh, cool. All right. So, and the book so. again, the collapse of materialism: visions of science, dreams of God, by Philip Camella. Now, Philip, in our last moments here, uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't put it that way. Well, uh, <laughs> What uh, th- th- there are moral issues that might arise a- a- with your point of view, as there there are with ours. Uh, if it's all a dream, then what difference does it make if you go and commit a crime? That sort of thing. You know, how would well, you how well, do you respond to the moral issues? Well, it it makes it makes morality a scientific truth. That's what happens because if we are all one, and I do think we all are one, and then they, we find. Yeah then we find salvation in each other. Those, the old religious truths are correct. We, we don't dream this world together, just like we don't live by ourselves. It, it, we don't, um, you, can't, you can't be happy by yourself. You, you could build a castle, but you're not going to be happy in your castle by yourself. Um, the, the fact is, is that if this is correct, that we are united, we are God, that the only way we could improve the world and improve our health, improve our lifespans, our youthfulness, and maybe and maybe even um, you know look younger longer, we need to we need to unite the power of the mind. We need to unite the power of the dream. Just like people in a longboat need to row in the same direction to get to the destination. This is incredibly idealistic, optimistic. But where I'm going is, if the logic leads you to an optimistic viewpoint, why would somebody reject it? At least consider it, because, because, because we're having our leading thinkers telling us that there really isn't any hope. I mean, Stephen Hawking wrote a famous column in Wall Street Journal a couple years ago. It was titled, There is no heaven. Hmm. So give up. Folks, it's not even worth you know. It's not worth thinking about it anymore. And then we have also then we have Steven Weinberg, another Nobel Prize winning scientist, saying that you're crazy if you believe in psychic phenomena. Uh, you know, and I could go on and on and on. These are our leading thinkers. These folks need to be questioned. Maybe they're right, but at least subject them to questioning. Just don't give in because they have more degrees or they write more books. I would say the same thing about the religious leaders. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree think, more. Some we have of the, to think for ourselves. Yep. So, some of the dumb, I hate to say it this way, but some of the dumbest people I know have PhDs after their name. <laughs> yeah. It means yeah. they went to school. Well, 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 you know as well as I do that, that one of the prime fallacies in logic is called appeal to authority. Yes. Appeal to authority. Well, so-and-so said it. It must be true. That's, you know, the pope, that's right. The Pope said it. He, yep. he must be right. And mm-hmm. so let's just go home, and he said it, and therefore let's not think about it. You know, luckily, those who came out of the 60s and the 70s, we sort of, I think there was that movement to, to question authority, of course, in different ways. But I think that we sort of broke through that in that era, and people are starting to question authority. What I'm saying is, don't just question the, the TV commentators and the president and the governor and the football coaches. Question the people who are feeding you the big ideas, because mm. they might not necessarily be right. Because I don't think, you know, so we only have one life to lead. Now, there could be an afterlife, there could be reincarnation. That's great. That's great. But I, I personally am not depending upon that. I, try, I'm, I think it's important now, with this one life we know exists, to make the best out of it we can so that's that's what I'm about. Okay, um, I respect that. I don't necessarily agree with how you put it, but you know, again, who knows? 
what is your vision of God? Let me ask, let me ask, let me tell you why I ask that. Many of the people who listen to the show, you know, they're stuck in traffic, you know, they're frustrated or whatever. It's um, a matter of um, how does how do these these high ideals and and these these uh, fascinating philosophical ideas and these various approaches we've mentioned this evening. How does that relate to somebody who's just trying to hack his way through the day, uh, get home, take care of her children, whatever, the ordinary folks of whom most people, in the group to which most people belong, you know, the, the work-a-day people just trying to, trying to get by? How would you relate this to them? Why is it important for them to realize what you say? Well, the number one thing that I'm trying to do is to make God real. You don't have to call it by any particular name. You know, when you use the word God, people have these, these impressions of what God is, whether it's Jesus, whether it's, um, you know, a statute, whether it's a Heavenly Father or whatever. What I'm saying is that what we know to be God, this, this, this eternal spirit of love is real. It's inside of us. That hope is real. That if we clean our mind of these misconceptions, we can't build a heaven on earth now that the things that we were taught in religion, these, these aspirations, these hopes, they can't be made real now. This is part of the real dream worldview. I'm using that as a way to tell people this is the way it could really be done. You don't have to necessarily believe that, you're, that it's all going to happen in a different dimension up in the sky. Maybe it will, but we can do it here now if we, if we take this mind-first, united perspective. But the number one thing I would say is, this can't be real here, here, and there is hope, and hope is real. And there is, there is something good that will happen in the future. We don't have to just pretend and, and, and that, that, uh, that it might happen someday. That there, this can really happen. It's up to us. We need to change our perspective. We need to break down barriers between us and other people, us and other faiths, us and science, and try to find a common ground so that we so that we so that we can move forward. Is that what you mean by uh, by saying build a heaven on earth, or what do you mean by that that sentence? Well, well, well. I'm not. You know, I'm I'm taking the idealistic program to its logical conclusion. We have a thought somewhere in our brains of our minds of a better world somewhere we want to have this we want this beach to always be there okay or this nice view or this calm peaceful field or this woods or nature we want it always to be there we want peace we just want to be left alone and enjoy ourselves and that and that if we are indeed dreaming the world it means we're creating the world we live in and it's to each of our advantages to unite for this common goal and take take our planet to a place where we could all fulfill our hopes and dreams. And I don't mean this, I mean, there's enough visionaries out there who will tell you to pray and you're going to go to the 16th dimension up in heaven. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we can do it right here if we change our perspective. See, one of the problems, someone, someone might suggest that one of the issues of what you say is you're you're trying to build the kingdom of God without God, although you say that together we all, as a sort of a pantheistic uh, 
manifestation of God or something, but every time that's been tried, it's been a catastrophe. People trying to do it on their own, uh, you know, <laughs> all the way from, um, you know, the various uh, utopian experiments that failed all the way to, you know, socialism or in, in implied the way it's been applied so far. I mean, wh- what say you? Well, the... This is this has got to be a scientific truth. This is not something that's forced upon people. This is something that everybody comes to this freely through logic, through it has to resonate. You you are talking about Homo sapiens here, aren't you? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It is. It does sound well. How are, well people are never going to change. Well, uh, that's why there's new generations. That's why we're. That's why I think we we, we you know the mind if you. Cycles through time. We we do bring. Isn't it isn't it strange that children seem to get along a lot better than adults do? <laughs> Depends we, on the children. We, <laughs> right, right. We te- yeah. Well, well, we definitely have carry bigger weapons and bigger sticks. There's no doubt about that. But but this this is something that that is going to happen naturally. It's it's not something that is imposed upon people. It's not a set of beliefs. It is a it is a logical principle, a logical, a logical bedrock of thinking that that once it resonates with you, I think it affects morality and affects the way you treat people. I do think that there is truth to the to to the scriptures. I think if you read the Bible, for example, as the story of the early dreamers of God, it becomes a very beautiful story. It's already a beautiful story, the first couple of books of the Bible. But if you read it like that, it's, to me it starts making sense. People are on this, in this paradise. They're trying to figure out what they're doing there and how it came to be. And they project outside of them some miraculous being that did this for them. And then, and then we climb that mountain of awareness of knowledge and we start realizing it's us. And, but we have to grow up and take responsibility for it. So it's, an, it's a natural evolution. It's, it's not something that can ever be imposed or dictated. People are too smart to do that. As you know, you, you don't really believe in something until you, unless you figure it out yourself, unless it's a personal belief. You know, this, that, that's one thing that's different about our era. You know, you can't impose beliefs upon people that are, that are going to... Um, that are going to sustain themselves. Well, then again, that leaves these the uh, the um, the possibility for other things to creep in. Not not to say that people won't accept these ideas, but what if somebody else comes in and says, "Well, it's all matter. That's all there is." Which there are a lot of people that say that, or or you even have some extreme spiritualists that say, "Well, we just we're just spirits, and we just appeared on this place just because we wanted to experience stuff." Like, how right. how would you how would a you a lot of it's very self centered and yeah I mean it's 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 it, dangerous yeah. well the thing the the big thing in modern times is the one of one of the things is the philos- the philosophy of democracy which is just complete and total individualism democracy isn't a bad thing but the idea of the individual I mean even as Amit Swami says he he usually he said well I mean the individual doesn't exist it's just a sense of self reference. So, if I'm getting what you're saying here, you're essentially saying that all these individuals need to realize they're not individuals. No. The, uh, see, I'm saying something as simple as possible. I'm saying that, that we need companionship, Tower of Babel, the one split into the many for, for companionship, 
we simply have to realize we come from the same source that there's a brotherhood of man all that stuff is actually true and then I go back to my other point that this this is this has got to be a scientific truth the truth remains standing the reason why I think materialism is going to end is because it can it because it can no longer explain human experience there's too many inconsistencies including the fact that quantum theory disproves it because quantum theory as you know says that there are no such things as little particles out there independent of us there's wave equations that are somehow connected to us so this this is you know i thought about this i am giving a long-term perspective here i'm looking at it from far away saying this is but once you once you come to this conclusion that uh, you know that like I have I, I think this is the way to go it's like if you know two plus two equals four then why delay admitting it just get there okay so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of debates there's a lot of different ideas it's going to be a while and if if I'm right it's going to remain standing if I'm not right it's going to fall away in, in, into the dustbins of history That's okay well uh, we're just about out of time. We got a lot of announcements here, but uh, Philip, fascinating conversation. We'd like to have you back to take you to the next step, introducing you to um, what we believe are non-human, non-friends who might be flies in the ointment. We call them parasites, but uh, that's for another time. In any case, thank you very, very much. And again, uh, once you mention your website, one more time. Okay, the website is thecollapseofmaterialism.com, which is also the name of the book available on Amazon and elsewhere. Hey, guys, thanks a whole lot. It's been great talking to you guys. Oh, Appreciate we really it. enjoyed it, and we'll be in touch yeah. off the air. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay, very good. Very good. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Okay, everybody, the Exeter, UFO, Exeter Kiwanis UFO Festival is coming up in Exeter, New Hampshire on Saturday, August 30th. Ben and I will present a program on strange connections, UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts. Other speakers will include the great Stanton Friedman. Bob Schroeder, both of whom are frequent guests of ours, and uh, we'll offer more information as it develops. Uh, check it at ExeterUFOFestival.com. On Saturday, September 20th, we will be at the uh, True Paranormal Event 2014, a celebration of advanced understanding of the paranormal. Times are 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Brookline Event Center, Brookline, New Hampshire. But now we'll present a program, as well as our good friend Shane Searway, uh, who is organizing the event, and also Bill Hall, author, author of the new book, The World's Most Haunted House, bridge, about the Bridgeport Poltergeist Case of 74, uh, in which I was involved with Ed Lorraine Warren. And after that, there will be two events for which we will uh, raffle off tickets. One is the Experiencer Speak Conference at the Clarion uh, Hotel and Conference Center in Portland, Maine. That is on September 6th and 7th. This is a UFO conference folks focused on uh, abductees, experiencers, and contactees. Anybody can attend, of course, and uh, it will be very, very interesting. And we will draw the winner for uh, four free tickets on our August 25th show, and you can find out more about that event at www.experiencerspeak.yolasite.com. Another event is the second New England UFO Conference on October 17th and 18th, City Hall, Westminster, Mass. Ben and I will be among the speakers there as well. And on September 29th on the show, we'll raffle off two family packs of tickets 
as we did last year. And to enter either of the contests, you can send an email to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or you can drop us a uh, snail mail at Behind the Paranormal, care of WOON, 1240 AM, 985 Park Avenue, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Pleading, please include, include your name, address, and phone number. And there are links at the BehindTheParanormal.com website, where you can also visit shows at that website as well. You can uh, check out over 550 free podcasts, as well as uh, a bunch from our uh, four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, and also NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my my dad. And you can also buy my books there. Next Monday, August 4th, here on uh, ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we will host a rare open line show to catch up on questions that you have sent in. Send questions to Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. Okay, uh, we leave you this evening with a thought from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. This is my simple religion. There is no, no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophy. Our own brain, our own heart is our temple. The philosophy is kindness. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.